Welcome to the Loveland Libcast, the official podcast of the Loveland Public Library. Joining me today for this episode of the Loveland Libcast, and of course, this is a Loveland cookbook group version of the Loveland Libcast. I have Ashley Reger, as always, recipe developer and freelance writer, and our special guest today, joining us all the way from Rhode Island, probably (laughs) our (laughs) furthest away guest that we've ever had. Very excited for you to join us. We have Grace Kelly, Associate Commerce Editor for Serious Eats and formerly of America's Test Kitchen, Ashley and Grace. Welcome to the Loveland Libcast. Ashley, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. I, I've never been to Colorado, so now I have to come visit. All right. Yeah. <laughs> your your voice will be listened to in Colorado very cool. before you before you step foot in here. Very neat. So because this is a Loveland cookbook group episode and version of the podcast, we are going to be discussing the July cookbook group that we have chosen, which is how to cocktail by America's Test Kitchen. And before we start chatting about cocktails and get to know Grace, I want to mention for folks again that the potluck for the Loveland Cookbook Group is going to be on July 23rd, which is a Saturday. That's going to be from noon to two. Ashley will be there. We're going to talk about the May, June, and July cookbooks. Since it is a potluck, we hope that people bring either a alcohol-free, a mocktail, something from How to Cocktail, a drink without alcohol, or a recipe from one of the other cookbooks that we've chosen. And if you want to go back to some of our earlier ones that we've picked too, we are not going to get angry at you. We're just going to be hungry. So <laughs> so bring yeah, something. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't be too stressed out about where it comes from. We just identify these cookbooks to give people some inspiration, perhaps, for their cooking. So that potluck, again, is going to be on July 23rd from noon to two in the Gertrude Scott Room at the Loveland Public Library. Ashley and I are both going to be there. And then this episode is going to come out on July 14th, which is the second Thursday. And that's when the recipe kit is going to come out for this month's cookbook. And of course, those recipe kits come out the second Thursday of each month. And the podcast episodes will either come out a little before that or on the same day. So you might be listening to this the same day that those recipe kits go out. So you can swing by the library and pick up our recipe kit for grenadine this time around. Thank you all for waiting through my <laughs> my introduction there and little programming notes. Grace, it is very exciting to have you on here. And as I mentioned in the introduction, you're the commerce editor for Serious Eats and formerly of America's Test Kitchen. And could you let listeners know a little bit about your background in the food industry and cooking and, and how you came to, to love making food and understanding it and the whole uh, shebang? Yeah. So uh, the funny part is I was actually an art history major in a Spanish mind. But I fell in love with journalism my senior year in college. So I segued, you know, post-college with the goal of getting into food writing specifically. So here I am now. (laughs) Um, But I, (laughs) my cooking background is really like a lot of people, I think, in the industry and food media, which is to say it's kind of more homespun. Um, I didn't go to culinary school, but I've always loved cooking. And I remember in high school, 
I got this Marcus Samuelson cookbook called Aquavit. And it was like, oh, so fancy. And so I made his frozen custards with poppy seeds and rhubarb compote. And I was like, this is so cool. Like I made this thing that this fancy chef made in Sweden. So I just, I've always loved experimenting in the kitchen and cooking. And then I did the test kitchen internship at America's Test Kitchen. And after I worked at a few local restaurants in Providence to try to get some more experience in the industry, and then kind of went back into the writing aspect of it, taking everything that I had collected <laughs> um, where I am now. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where you, you and Ashley met at America's Test Kitchen. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. We we're both interns. <laughs> All right. What year was that? That was I'll put you on the spot with <laughs> 2017, 2018, I think. 2017, yeah. 2018. Yeah, I think it was like yeah. 2018. Yeah. All right. Yeah, the winter, the winter, maybe the January of 2018. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I do remember now. <laughs> and where was that located again? Yeah, that's in Boston in the Seaport District. Coming from Denver, I was so scared of the Boston winter and it was <laughs> quite cold. It snowed a yeah. lot more than what we get in Denver, so I'm always really? a little bit more grateful. Yeah, <laughs> it, it snows in Denver, but it's usually gone within a few days because it, it's sunny the next day. So we get a lot of snow, but not not quite like, like Boston where it sticks on the ground for a yeah. while. <laughs> and is that like a an internship that people from all over apply to, to get in? Kind of like a, almost like a graduate program or something like that? Yeah, it's pretty yeah. competitive, I think. <laughs> Yeah, it's quite competitive. There's people of all ages. So I think we had a couple of people that were a few decades older than us. And then I think that they have people who are fresh out of college. So it's really the gamut of people from the industry who want to get into food media and see what America's Best Kitchen does. What did you all do during your internship there? We kind of like worked with different teams. So it was divided into two halves. And then the first half was with one team and the second half was with a different team. So the first half of my experience was on the photo team, uh, which meant a lot of mise en place, a lot of prepping ingredients, a lot of trips to the storage rooms. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then the second half for me was with Cook's Country, which is one of America's Test Kitchen's like sub brands. So that was more basically a test cook would give, uh, would develop a recipe and we were part of the cross-testing process, um, just sort of making sure that the ingredients were all written correct and everything was in order and it was understandable and that the final product turned out well when not made by that test cook. So, and Ashley, I think your experience was, was more like the second one too. Yeah, so I worked with both the cookbooks team. So I actually worked with some of the team members while they were creating this, this cocktail book, which was really cool to see um, and to see some of the recipes that I saw being developed in print. And then I worked with the Cooks Illustrated team, similar to Cooks Country. Cooks Illustrated is a brand of America's Touch Kitchen, a magazine brand. So got to see the photo shoots like Grace mentioned, and we just helped keep the kitchen running. So we sorted <laughs> groceries. And yep. And yeah, accepted, accepted groceries, cleaned the kitchen, did all of the things that interns do in kitchens. <laughs> like, yeah. Did they hire you to stay on, Grace? Or did you, was there a position to open up or something like that that you went for? After the internship ended, I started working in two restaurants in Providence because there wasn't anything available at the time. But about last year, I started at ATK, America's Test Kitchen, on the reviews team. So segue a little bit more into the product review writing part of the company, um, which is a really fun way to approach cooking because it's very 
home cook oriented, which I really like since this is the stuff you're using every day in the kitchen and it's an investment sometimes. Or even if you want a good vegetable peeler, it's nice to know that the one you bought is is solid and will last a while and do a good job. So it's been really fun kind of learning that side of the business. (laughs) Would you just get a bunch of different kind of products in the kitchen to try out and just kind of use use your journalism mind to think about how am I going to communicate to someone, you know, the pros and cons of this? Yeah. So one of my favorite reviews I did was bread machines, which was crazy because I had, I think, five or six bread machines in my little apartment and I had to make white bread every day in each one. So bread machine bread goes bad after like a day or two. It gets really stale. So I, had so, I have so many friends. I was like, does anyone want bread today? Like... <laughs> Save money on candles too, assuming yeah, ex- that you like the smell of fresh bread. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) So it was a lot of like picking a lineup of things, finding stuff that was well-reviewed online, and then developing what we called methodologies and outlining how we're going to test everything and then actually doing it. And and it was fun to collect the data and then kind of write the results and figure out who was a winner and who was like a best buy or or that kind of thing. Cool. And now you're with Serious Eats. That is a newer kind of brand in the food industry is is am I right by saying that um it's a little it's was founded in 2006 so it's been around for a while not as old as some other brand like ATK is a little older but pretty established and yeah serious serious eats is really fun it's very nerdy it's kind of like ATK in that everything's very rigorous and for recipe development it's very interesting they really try to get a holistic background on the recipes they're developing and find out the nuances and then kind of make it their own while still acknowledging the rich histories behind each thing. So it's been really cool team to join. And as associate commerce editor, what does your job kind of entail in that role? Yeah. So my role right now is a little bit of everything. It's mostly writing reviews still on Kitchen Gear, but also editing. We have a group of freelancers and writers that do some reviews for us. So I take their reviews and edit them and make sure that they're up to par with our standards and then build them out on our website. So it's been really fun to get on the more editing side of writing. And then I'm also actually developing a recipe for, for Serious Each. So I pitched a recipe and they're going to let me do it. So I'm oh, really excited. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can you can you share what that recipe yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, a Sardinian pasta dish. I'm probably going to butcher the name because I speak Spanish and not Italian. And Sardinian is even more unique, but it's called Malaredus alla Camperanense. And it's basically a semolina flour pasta that's like kind of, they call it the Sardinian gnocchi, but there's no potato. And then the sauce is like a sausage ragu with some saffron. So it's a really kind of interesting dish that has a lot of ties to Sardinian history. I'm excited to explore. <laughs> yeah, so that, cool. that sounds <laughs> very delicious. <laughs> Is there anything you're currently working on that? And would you like to direct people to anything on Serious Eats or, or things that they might find useful or, or should check out? Yeah, so we have a really fun upcoming package called Bubbles. And so we're going to be exploring all foods and manner of objects that involve bubbles, whether that's like a soda stream or whether that's fermentation and our champagne so keep an eye for that that'll be really fun visually and just really interesting and then also outside of work I'm I freelance a little bit and I'm doing a guide on where to eat in Providence for a food travel site called the infatuation so if you're ever in the area and want to visit <laughs> um, that's coming out soon and should be hopefully helpful <laughs> all right yeah and people could see the bubbles Oh, it's like a package. Okay. <laughs> people, yeah. could, pe- people could see the bubbles package at the Serious Eat website. 
when it when it's launched? Yes. Yeah, that'll probably be later this year. Okay. And I will put a link to both the Serious Eats website so people can check that out. And then you said it's infatuation.com? Yes. Yeah, okay. Infatuation. <laughs> so that way they can look forward to learning more about traveling on the East Coast if someone's going that way. Or maybe it'll inspire them to want to go that way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Grace, thank you, thank you for letting us know a bit more about your background. And Ashley, you and I are going to touch on how to cocktail. And of course, Grace, you're more than welcome to also share your knowledge on these things. And then we're going to get to some very exciting listener questions about cocktails and then some things just about cooking and baking in general. So Ashley, I'm going to kick it over to you to introduce the July cookbook group title, How to Cocktail by America's Test Kitchen, and let listeners know why we chose this title for this month. Sure. So this is How to Cocktail. It's really a great volume, whether you have been into cocktails for a while or are just trying to get into them. So they cover everything from the classics, like an old fashioned and even a gin and tonic, how to make a really fantastic gin and tonic. Uh, there's also other really incredible recipes. I'm looking forward to making the Florentine Freeze which is a slush version of a Negroni, which is one of my favorite cocktails. And the peach strawberry frosé, because I love a frosé, personally. And then there's other really, really fun things in this book, like how to make your own bitters and how to make your own simple syrups and how to infuse your own liqueurs. So this is a really fantastic book, not only for yourself, but you can get it for a gift for the cocktail lover in your life. It's just an all-around wonderful how-to. You were there when they were creating this cookbook, right, Ashley? Yeah, so Grace and I were there when the cookbooks team, which I was working on at the time, were kind of finishing up some of these recipes. So I got to see things like the recipe for the perfect frozen margaritas, which are extremely simple and very good. <laughs> uh, and, and I remember being in a tasting for homemade bitters, and these require all these really interesting ingredients. Yeah, I remember there were like bags of roots and like bark in the storage room. Yeah, right. It was cool. All these wild ones. I kill the AC when we record these. So talking about all these frozen drinks, I'm like, I. Mm, Yeah, I get. I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. I did the same thing, and I'm like, my face is turning red. Do you remember any of these recipes or or do you have this, Grace, this cookbook? I got from the library, my local library. Oh, okay. Um, Like, yeah. And so I love it. It's a great cocktail book. I love the margarita recipe. Just even their non-frozen one is is really good. And they have Mm -hmm. one drink. It's like a bourbon frozen cherry slushy, and it's cool because it uses orange juice concentrate and that helps it stay kind of viscous and not water down too quickly. So that's delicious. Yeah. So <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> so I remember being in a bitters tasting when I was at American Test Kitchen and they were fine tuning all of these different types of bitters. So there's fruit bitters, but one that stood out to me was the old-fashioned aromatic bitters. And we always buy bitters at the store, but to see the ingredients that actually go into them, and they're kind of wild. So there's like dried gentian root chips 
and dried mugwort. So uh, if you're interested in getting some funky ingredients and having them in your kitchen, this is a, a great experiment to do. Yeah. And I think it would make a great gift. Yeah, it's, if you if you ever wanted to be in the adult version of the Harry Potter potion making yeah. class. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And I, I wanted to ask both of you too, what are some highlights of this cocktail cookbook for you any drinks that you think people might want to investigate that sound particularly delicious or things that they if they don't drink alcohol or if they are bringing a drink to a library potluck (laughs) (laughs) Ashley I'll let you go first yeah okay so I think the drinks that I would like to highlight, as far as a mocktail, so I stumbled across this one earlier today as I was looking through, there's frozen watermelon coolers. And as we get into the summer season, this sounds like a truly incredible drink. And so you could make it alcoholic if you wanted to, but the recipe itself is not alcoholic. And then the other recipe I'd like to highlight is a Shirley Temple because we are... Our featured recipe of this month is grenadine. So we'll talk about that, I think, a little bit later. But Shirley Temples are kind of having a moment right now. It's the trendy drink of the summer where people are debating whether you should order dirty Shirley's at a bar or not order dirty Shirley's. So that's kind of what I'm into this summer. Very cool. <laughs> dirty Shirley's. <ugh>. No. <laughs> no, not at you. Like, no. <laughs> I love Shirley Temples as a kid, but. The idea of vodka in it just seems so, I don't know, wrong, but maybe it's the nostalgic. <laughs> but yeah, teach his own. It's it probably delicious. <laughs> I really like the margarita recipe. Like I said before, it's like a very interesting way to approach making a margarita. They zest some lime and lemon and actually steep it in a lime mixture with sugar. So it really infuses it and gets a little bit of a bitterness, which is kind of a nice contrast to the sweetness of the drink. So that's one of my favorite drinks. I think that's next. That- that book and then mm-hmm. their frozen drinks are just really good and there's one that might go well with the grenadine it's a frozen hurricane it has passion fruit puree orange juice concentrate and rum but you could probably make it non-alcoholic as well and then it has grenadine in it too so it looks pretty tasty right about now <laughs> <laughs> that that watermelon drink is killing me right now because <laughs> it's so, so refreshing it does <laughs> The picture, oh my gosh, it looks Yes, it does. As we mentioned, the recipe for grenadine that you can make at home, it's going to include allspice berries and pomegranate molasses. Is there anything else that you think listeners should know about this, Ashley? Yeah, so you find a lot of grenadines at the store, and it is so simple to make at home with just a little bit of pomegranate juice. It really comes together in less than 10 minutes. It's super, super easy. I actually made this a few weeks ago, and then I went to a picnic in the park party, and I brought along ginger ale, and we made like ginger ale uh, Shirley Temples at the park, which is really nice. Grace, do you have any thoughts on grenadine? I have a really weird way I like to use it. I don't know if that's useful, but I, when I was Absolutely a kid, I just... It is. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, I just liked putting it on vanilla ice cream. <laughs> it's strangely delicious. <laughs> yeah, that does sound delicious. 
Yeah, so if you don't if you don't drink folks, put it on ice cream. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for that rundown, Ashley, and thank you for your unique way for using grenadine, Grace. <laughs> Sounds good to me. I think we will go ahead and get to some listener questions. So, I broadcast out to get some questions since we Ashley and I knew we were going to have Grace on and wanted to ask some things, get some insider knowledge from America's Test Kitchen, and then also learn more about cocktails and see what you two think. The first ones are going to be more drink and cocktail focus, and then just some kind of general cooking and baking questions. So the first question I want to ask is, this is from Anonymous, where did the word cocktail come from? I can chime in first. So I was looking this up online a little bit. We were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but there's a couple of different etymologies, and I'll let Grace fill in the one that she found, but I think the one that stuck with me the most was that it comes from the French word for egg cup, coquetier, and I'm sorry if I just absolutely did not pronounce that right. So coquetier, they said that the original cocktails would be served in these tiny little egg cups for people to... Uh, sip on and I think it was brandy based cocktails that would would first go in there and yeah I just think I like that one I think it's kind of yeah yeah I like that better than my weird answer that I found um (laughs) (laughs) I, I I was looking at Difford's guide and they referenced the Oxford English Dictionary which meant it had to be the right answer so no (laughs) um so they said it I guess the Oxford English Dictionary says that they think the word comes from the term to describe a horse that isn't a thoroughbred, um, they would actually dock the tail of these horses, aka cocked tail. And so that kind of implies that a drink isn't pure, or it's not like a shot of whiskey, it's a mix of things. So that's where the Oxford English Dictionary and Difford's claim that the word cocktail comes from. It's kind of a strange origin, but <laughs> kind of goes with the Kentucky Derby idea in a way. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Seems like we kind of, we don't have a total consistent, no, it came from here, but that's just kind of <laughs> language seems to be mm-hmm. true for a lot of things. Our second question that I'd like to ask, what was the process for testing cocktails that America's Test Kitchen went through, especially so that people weren't overindulging? I remember wondering this myself when I was an intern and saw them with their, you know, developing recipes. I was like, how are they going to taste these? It's, you know, 10 a.m. like on a Tuesday because <laughs> um, <laughs> they did use, you know, real alcohol in the drinks. So I think, I mean, Ashley can probably speak to it better than me, but I remember them basically sipping and then spitting the drinks out to try mm-hmm. to like get the flavor and the texture without getting sloshed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, totally. So same thing that you might do at a at a wine tasting is sip and spit. I wrote in my notes, sip and spit. It's not cute, but it's how it goes. So um, yeah. And then I guess if they really like something, they could always go home and indulge as much mm-hmm. as they wanted. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Our next question, did America's Test Kitchen work with bartenders to develop any of these recipes or test them out? I'm not sure about this one. Yeah, I'm not sure how they did this. I, I think that they did, but I don't want to speak to it if I because I don't really know. I'm not sure either, but I would assume they would at least reach out and or at least do some research into mm-hmm. different preparations and then use that to kind of inform their recipe development. But yeah, I'm not also not entirely sure. This was one of my favorite questions. Have you taste tested all the tequila brands on the market? <laughs> what are your favorites? 
And would you need any help next time? And this comes from Therese. <laughs> this question made me laugh. <laughs> it's great. I, I sadly have not tasted all the tequila brands on the market, but that would be a really fun tasting. Um, <laughs> I am, I'm not a tequila expert. I do love margaritas, but something that I did learn working in the restaurant world was a little bit about mezcal and how that's served. And that's kind of a, another agave based alcohol that I really like a lot, I like the slight smokiness. But one of my coworkers was from Mexico and he would always get a snifter of mezcal and then serve it with uh, wedges of orange dipped in a salt. It's called sal de gusano, which has chili powder, salt and dried agave worms. So that's like the traditional way to drink mezcal. You take a little sip and then have a bite of one of those salty, chili, wormy orange slices. <laughs> oh my gosh, I did not know that. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can you get them without the worms? <laughs> <laughs> you could probably do it. I mean, you probably wouldn't taste it. <laughs> Difference. <laughs> <laughs> that's really interesting though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. And I really like this question too. I'm curious as well. Since margaritas are one of the most well-known and beloved warm weather drinks, what would you consider the wintertime equivalent to the margarita? And this one comes from Jay. Yeah, I thought about it long and hard. And I think a whiskey sour feels like an appropriate equivalent because you've got the, you know, bright citrus so it has that, you know, margarita citrus, but then you have the whiskey, which is a little richer and warmer, um, good for like a cold evening. And I also really enjoy, there's a retro riff that on a whiskey sour that uses amaretto instead. So amaretto is an almond liqueur. And uh, I was very like 1950s and 60s to make these, but it's delicious. It's the same citrus kind of base, but with that nutty, sweet almond liqueur. So like those two would be good for winter margarita. Mm -hmm ish drinks <laughs> yeah those are awesome i didn't even really think about it like that that's, that's way better than my answer oh no <laughs> so i was actually sitting at a restaurant here in denver ginger pig when i received these questions from daniel and i was at the bar and i was like okay bartender <laughs> what do you think <laughs> oh cool <laughs> i was thinking about it and then there was it was a pretty empty restaurant so uh one of the other patrons in the restaurant also joined us <laughs> and we were talking about like winter margaritas and my answer was like margaritas <laughs> but I think a way that you could make if you love a margarita make it a little bit more suitable for warm weather is you could use mezcal like Grace was talking about earlier. I also think a pomegranate margarita is really good and mm. pomegranates are very holiday-ish yeah. flavors. And then I was looking through a book too and you could make the ancho infused tequila that's in the book mm -hmm. and then you get a little bit of warm heat in there and that ancho chili liqueur that recipe that's here also has some cinnamon in it so yeah, just make your um, margarita with some of that, and that'll warm you right up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I like your answer. That was a great yeah, answer. I probably did the wrong answer. answer. <laughs> no. I was just like, maybe there's some sort of wassail that you can put <laughs> something <Yeah>. in. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's, there's an old fashioned cocktail for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. It's like a Christmas carol cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> cute. <laughs> 
And uh, another margarita question from Jay. What are good alternatives for margaritas to serve to a group? So something, you know, margaritas are famous or you can make a bunch and pour everyone a margarita for the summer. But if you're having a summer barbecue or something, what is another drink that people could try as an alternative? I'm kind of basic, but I really love sangria. It's so easy Mm -hmm. to make. It's endlessly rippable. You can really get creative with it. I like to put frozen fruit in mine, like cherries, to both chill it and get that juicy flavor. You can switch up the wine. Rosé and white wine are fun. They're a little more summery too. And you can also even, if you're really feeling ambitious, make your own simple syrups or even give it a bitter edge with some Amaro, like Aperol or Capoletti or something. Just a little touch of that gives it a little bitterness. And one of my favorite sort of sangrias, it's kind of more like a spritz. It has grapefruit juice, sparkling rosé, Aperol, and I do like a little basil simple syrup for a little herbal kick and it's a little fresh. And then another thing I really love, sorry, I'm, I'm long-winded here, but <laughs> another thing I really love is um, in Spain, they have this great drink called the Tinto de Verano, and it's actually more popular than sangria. And it's really simple. It's literally just red wine and lemon lime soda. It sounds terrible. It's delicious. And then a hot day, you know, after hiking or at a barbecue, uh, Tinto de Verano is a really delicious, easy drink that is pretty low lift. <laughs> Thank you for giving that a name because I <laughs> saw that in some video on social media. And so we've been drinking red wine with carbonated lemonade like yeah. all summer and it's been really, really good. It's so good. Uh, that's It's definitely one of my favorites. And it does sound kind of wild when you first hear about it or when I tell people about it, they're like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but it is really good and really refreshing and put that on some ice. I think that my answer to this question is also margarita. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> you can always, I think that's something that we overlook a lot is that you can batch up these really great cocktails. So if you want to serve margaritas to a group, literally just batch it up and, and multiply your recipe by however many people you want to serve. And that's a really good tip. And you can do the same thing with old fashions or Negronis if you want a little bit stiffer of a dinner drink or something. And then, yeah, I think Grace just gave my delete drink a name and <laughs> gave it some legitimacy. So, so thank you for that. It's not silly. It's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you both for all of those wonderful ideas for just leaning into margs or trying something a little different our final drink related question why is the gibson cocktail garnished with a pickled onion and this question comes from cole this is embarrassing i didn't know what a gibson was um so i actually had to look this up but it's from my understanding similar to a martini except it uses the pickled onion and I, I couldn't really find a definitive answer sort of like the cocktail i one thing i saw that said that the onion was more modern first mentioned in a 1908 recipe by William Boothby, but they're not really sure who decided to first put it in it. So maybe Ashley has a better <laughs> answer. <laughs> not really. I don't think that's embarrassing at all because I also did not know what a Gibson was, <laughs> but I think that it's a gin martini specifically, if, if I'm right. And just from the Wikipedia page, I again picked out my favorite <laughs> of the story. <laughs> So there is this story that there's a banker named Gibson who would take his clients out for three martini lunches. I guess I have heard that term before, but not in a while. So they 
would go out for three martini business lunches. And so Gibson would ask for water in a martini glass garnished with an olive so that he could tell a difference while his clients drink their actual martinis and he would enjoy his non-intoxicating Gibson. <laughs> so I think that's, that's my favorite story yeah, that I read. Yeah, I like that too. <laughs> I used to. <laughs> All right. And then here's some cooking, baking, food questions. Start with, what's one of the most unbelievable situations you've encountered in a kitchen? And this question comes from Carla. And this was a tough one. I would say that I had a really good kitchen experience. I was lucky to go work in two very nice kitchens. So no one was throwing like plates at you. <laughs> no one was Gordon Ramsay. So <laughs> I bet I mostly heard unbelievable situations from other people that I know who worked in kitchens. And I remember working at America's Test Kitchen. I was testing lobster rolls. <laughs> I was helping make them. And I had to every day, like take a huge box of lobsters out of the walk-in and dispatch them in a myriad of ways. It kind of felt like torture chamber. Uh, I was like, boil this one, steam this one, knife this one. And uh, that was horrifying to me. But I remember hearing these other test cook stories about working in these huge seafood shacks in Cape Cod during the summer and how they dispatch lobsters was gruesome to me. They just, they're like, yeah, if people want lobster claws, we just take the live lobster and rip the claws off alive, like basically rip the whole thing apart alive. And I was like, that is so horrifying. (laughs) That was, so that was unbelievable to me because I felt bad for lobsters. I was, you know, boiling in a pot. I was really tempted to take one with me and release it into the harbor. I'm not going to lie. I almost did. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) Poor lobster. Yeah, those poor crustaceans. (laughs) The same one. Uh, That is that is horrifying. (laughs) I think I was pretty lucky too. I worked in one restaurant that had a little bit of the throwing pots, but not not much. And then in more recent experience, I think the craziest thing that came to mind is I was working, and this isn't even that crazy. I was working on a busy busy morning for brunch. And I am getting ready, getting the plates ready to go out the door. And I look across the expo window. So that's where the heat lamps are and where everybody puts their plates to keep them warm. And I look across and I see the prep cook uh, putting some capers into some oil on the stove. And we're, you know, stove frying capers. And (laughs) then I glance back and there's a column of flame. And I just very you know, hey, turn that off. It's on fire. <laughs> and, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> they turned it off and luckily it didn't get out of control. But I think that was the most shocking thing is just looking over and seeing like literally a three to four three to four foot column of flame. Um, but just very quickly went back down once we turned the fire off. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you both for sharing those scary stories from, <laughs> from the kitchen. Next question. Any favorite recipes that you two are currently? One I really love for weeknights it's really easy is America's Test Kitchen recipe. It's, let me find the name because I'm going to probably say the wrong thing. It's called gochujang chicken and tortellini. And it's basically, you take chicken and you put it in a marinade that includes soy sauce, gochujang, which is like a Korean paste, and garlic, ginger, sesame oil. And then you put the chicken in that and saute that. And then you take, I use ravioli sometimes if I don't have tortellini on hand. And you put that in with it after you boiled it first and then put some cheese on top. You can use mozzarella. The recipe uses fontina. Cheddar is actually really good too. And then boil that for a few minutes in the oven. It's a very strange combination in sound, but it's delicious and super easy. <laughs> All right. I it's really good. 
Since it's almost 4th of July as we're recording this, I have been thinking a lot about pies lately. Mm -hmm. uh, and a few weeks ago, I made a blueberry apple ginger pie that has mm -hmm. been kind of stuck in my mind. It, the ginger in it was crystallized ginger or candy ginger and fresh blueberries and Granny Smith apples. And I'm I can't get that out of my mind. I think I'll make it again next weekend. <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about it now, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Our next question. Do either of you have recommendations for good butter substitutes or any gluten-free baking substitutes that you know about? I've used coconut oil as a butter substitute in like scones, any good pie crust sometimes, and that can be good. You just have to make sure it's not too hot out because coconut oil is, has a higher, lower melting temp than um, butter, so it could melt into a puddle. But um, if you put it in the fridge, kind of congeal it a bit. I'm not sure about gluten-free baking, so I won't say anything. <laughs> Yeah, so my recommendation for this, there are a lot of really, really great vegan butters out there, especially within the last, you know, two or three years. So I've used those with pretty good success. They cream like butter, it does, if you are making a cake that requires creaming. And then I've also used coconut oil and keeping it cold, like I said, especially if you need to cream it or something, because it will definitely melt. And for gluten-free baking, uh, I have some friends that are celiac, so when I'm baking for them, I reach for my fave, King Arthur. <laughs> King <laughs> Arthur has a really incredible, they have two really good gluten-free baking mixes. So they have the gluten-free measure-for-measure flour, which is a substitute for if you were making a recipe that called for normal, glutinous, all-purpose flour, you can use their measure-for-measure -measure flour. And then kind of confusingly, they also have a gluten-free all-purpose flour, and that is meant for gluten-free specific recipes. So a lot of gluten-free specific recipes will also call for a type of gum or some starch to help keep the product bound together and add binding since you're missing the protein of the, of the regular flour. So yeah, if you're using a gluten recipe that you want to make gluten-free, reach for the King Arthur Measure for Measure. If you're making a gluten-free based recipe, you can reach for the King Arthur Gluten Alpha. All right, thank you for that. Do either of you have any recommendations for meat thermometers? I would definitely say a thermopen is a great investment. It's probably pretty much standard at the test kitchen and at Serious Eats as far as it's very fast and accurate, easy to use, and it comes in lots of pretty colors, which is fun. But it's also $105. So another good option that's a little more affordable is a thermopop, also by Thermoworks. It's a little smaller, maybe a little slower, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not that much slower. If you know you're temping something, it won't really make a difference. It's about $35, so it's a little bit more affordable. Also a good option. Yeah. Second, that Thermoworks is, is really the industry standard among um, food media and I think chefs alike. So any thermal works thermometer is going to be really, really good and, and it'll last you for a long time and be very accurate for its life. So, all right. Shout out to Thermoworks. Yeah. Maybe they'll sponsor this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and finally, why do some cookies come out like small flat discs when using the recipe on the back of chocolate chip cookies? I have some insider information for this. Uh, so I <laughs> actually met with Amy, the director of the library today, uh, and she, she admitted that she submitted this question, which I don't want to put her on the spot. Uh, I think this happens all the time. If you want a really soft, chewy cookie, my recommendation is always 
to lower your cooking time a little bit so you're not looking for well-browned edges or what a well-browned top. I always, it's hard to put this into words, but I always like poke the cookies a little bit. And if I hear air bubbles popping, then I know that the baking soda has done its job. And basically that's when I take it out. And if I poke it and I hear those bubbles popping and my, my little poke stays indented, that's when I take them out. And then you can have soft cookies every time. It's a great tip. I did a little research and it said too that if I'm not sure what small flat disc meant exactly, but I was picturing like really like thin cookies that spread out a lot. And in that case, it sounds like the oven could possibly be too hot, which means the butter melts faster than everything gets to kind of congeal a bit. So maybe lowering your oven temperature or checking your oven temperature with a thermometer just to make sure it's accurate. Because maybe it says it's one thing, but ovens can vary in temperature and it can also change if you've preheated it for a long time, it can be a little hotter. Totally. Oh, I have one more thing to add to that one too. Absolutely. So if your cookies are regularly coming out super flat, you can also try to chill your dough. This will actually help make your cookies a little bit more flavorful because as the dough chills, it, I don't know, it just makes the flavors a little bit more cohesive. Uh, and this is becoming an increasingly popular uh, step to add to cookie recipes these days. So chilling the dough before you bake it can help standardize the heat across your dough and get butter to the right temperature so the butter's not melting in the oven immediately. And then also just help you have better cookies. So an hour to 24 hours of chilling time can can help this out a lot. And I think chill your dough is something that I might start saying to people if, you know, they're being a little extra. (laughs) Chill your dough. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for all of that. (laughs) (laughs) That will be the official shirt of the Loveland Cookbook Group podcast. Thank you, Grace and Ashley, for all of that wonderful advice and knowledge. And thank you all for submitting those questions. It's a lot of fun to go through those with Grace and Ashley. And before we wrap things up, I always like to ask our guests if they have one or two recommendations for books, movies, music, podcasts, anything that you've been listening to or reading lately that you'd like to share with our listeners. And Grace, we'll start with you. Sure. Yeah. So I've really been getting into graphic novels lately and one that I discovered probably years late. My sister, who's 18, was like, that's been around forever. But it's uh, it's called Laura Olympus, and it's on Webtoons. They actually are selling physical copies as well. Um, it's wonderful. And I've always loved mythology. And I kind of grew up reading, you know, Percy Jackson and things like that. So this is similar, but a little more mature. And it's also online, which is really fun, but it comes out every Sunday. So I have to wait every week now that I've caught up all, you know, 128 episodes. I didn't realize it wasn't ended. So I read through them really fast, but it's about Persephone and Hades relationship. And it's a really fun read, really beautiful artwork. Um, And I'm also a nascent Star Trek fan. So (laughs) in terms of shows, I've been watching Next Generation and I love love it um so that's been really fun and if you haven't seen it or like like me i was a star wars fan and was like never star trek um you might change your mind if you start watching it it's great (laughs) it's funny you mentioned both of those things because (laughs) ashley and i talk about the song of achilles I love that book. Yes, that is the the official book of the (laughs) the podcast. (laughs) And and also for May the 4th, we did a Star Trek 
versus Star Wars podcast episode with two of our resident nerd experts at the library. And that was a lot of fun. And I also started watching some Star Trek. And <laughs> it is awesome. Yeah, it's great. It's really fun. I've watched the, the original series and Next Generation. It's very enjoyable. Oh, I have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun. And Ashley, have you been uh, reading or watching or listening to any books? Uh, funny story. Uh, we've actually been watching Obi Wan um, right. Obi Wan Kenobi <laughs> and Star Trek Strange New World. Ah, so the newest one, I, I think. And I actually have not seen all the Star Wars movies, but my partner is obviously a huge fan, so I'm kind of picking it up as I go. And Star Trek, I think I've seen them all through osmosis at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and then as far as what I'm reading, I am reading the new Sally Rooney book, Beautiful World, Where Are You? And I think in our very first episode of this podcast, I mentioned that I was getting into this new series, Wheel of Time, and I didn't know how many books there were in the series, but it's a lot. I'm a little more invested at this point, so I'm on the fourth book. I'm listening to the audiobook for it, and it's my fourth out of 14. So, wow. you know, of the way there. You're on your way if you're on the <laughs> It's good. This audiobook, I think, is something like 40 some hours. So, wow. yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a time time consuming book, but I, I listen to something at all times. I can't be alone with my own thoughts. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm working my way through it. That is a perfect segue to my recommendation. I'm alone with two cats all the time, so I need something. <laughs> and I've been listening to the audiobook for the Ron Chernow biography of Grant, of Ulysses S. Grant. Mm. And it's really interesting. It's also very long. It's It clocks in, I think, over 40 hours. But a you know he was the general for the Union in the Civil War when the South finally conceded. And then he served two terms as president. So someone with a, a very full life. So you would expect it to be a long. And it's, it's really mm. good. If you have any interest in American history, the Civil War, Reconstruction, and a president that I think a lot of people... They know he's on the $50 bill. They know that he was a general, you know, at the surrender of Appomattox, but not necessarily a lot much else, but very fascinating person. And Ron Chernow, of course, is the author who wrote Hamilton, which was then adapted to the musical that everybody knows. So that's mine. Yeah. If you got 40 hours to spare and you're, <laughs> you need a break from the 40 hour wheel of time audiobook, <laughs> jump into that one. Ashley and Grace, thank you so much for being on the Loveland Libcast. This was a lot of fun. I always look forward to these episodes, and this one was no different in terms of how fun it was to do. I hope that it's as fun to listen to for all of our listeners. Thank you so much for your expertise and telling us about all these awesome drinks people can try out. So, Grace and Ashley, thank you both for being on the Loveland Libcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> this has been another episode of the Loveland Libcast. And of course, this was a Loveland Cookbook Group version of the show. I want to thank all of the listeners out there for their questions and for listening to this podcast. And I will talk to you all next time. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of the Loveland Libcast. If you'd like to contact us about the podcast, please reach out to Daniel at daniel.tate at cityofloveland.org. That's D-A-N-I-E-L dot T-A-T-E at cityofloveland.org. See you next time.